very special guest on today's show. My name is Max, of course. Welcome to Sonic Dorms. I've got the one and only, a legend in my book, the one and only Doug Pinnock of hey. King's X, one of my all-time favorite bands. Oh. The, the, to me, deserves so many more accolades than they already have received throughout, what, 40-plus career now? Yeah, 42 years. Look at that. So congratulations and thank you. Thank you again for helping add credibility to what I've been building here through uh, grassroots method here on Sonic Dorms. It means the world to me. You really are awesome. a guest of honor. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So I'll start off by saying you've got album number 13 coming down the pipes this Friday. That's the uh, incredible new album, Three Sides of One, which I've the what I've heard from it is just absolutely incredible from every standpoint, whether that be the production, the songwriting, the lyrical content. Where did this begin for you as far as the journey into this record? Oh, I've been writing for the last 14 years and doing a lot of side projects at the same time, um, just continually doing what I do. Um, and the guys, the other guys, Ty and Jerry, they just didn't want to make a King's X record until we felt we had the songs and the material and the attitude and the whole, you know, we felt right about making a record that we could present to the people that we could be proud of. And so, you know, it took about 14 years for everybody to get that confidence up. With King's X's, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves uh, because of what we have done and what people have said. So, you know, we want to keep keep giving people the music that that they complimented us on and told us about that they love. So this time we just didn't want to put out a, a, a just another record, but we really wanted to make it something that we were proud to offer to the people that love King's X. Yeah, it, I can tell what I, what I love about this record is it feels like a labor of love. Like a lot of the albums in the King's X catalog to me, it takes it takes it could take a couple of years or so, but it truly does feel like there was a lot of effort put into every factor of the record. So it feels like a record that you can go back to over periods of time and find something yeah. new out of it. You get it, and to me, it's rare. It's becoming more and more rare to find albums being made with such love and dedication, where people can spend years working on them and perfecting them and actually creating substantial pieces of work. But it yeah. sounds to me like you've delivered that here with the new album. I want to believe that. <laughs> I'll let you guys tell me that stuff. But, uh, you know, it's good to hear that people and, and you especially uh, feel that, you know. So, I mean, because that's what we're trying to do, you know, and it's always good to hear that feedback. One of the things I like, if, if you don't mind uh, doing this with me, yeah. one of the first things I, I like with first time guests on Sonic Dorms is the origin story the influences, all the things that made you fall in love with music in the first place. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about why you fell in love with music at an early oh. age. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've loved music since the time I could remember. My mom said that I was singing before I could talk and I would cry when she turned the record player off. And she said that she kind of wondered what I was going to turn out to be. <laughs> she said the only thing she's ever said to me about me when it comes to wondering what I was going to be when I grow up. She just thought, hmm, he's a little odd. And, um, and it just seems like every time I did anything, people wanted me to sing. 
as a little kid, sing for us, Doug, sing this song, sing that song in church, in school. It didn't matter. And, and I just did it all the time. And music was such a big deal to me. Um, I wasn't, I was 24 when I first started playing bass. Um, I didn't play hardly anything before that. I'd bang on a piano, you know, at school and stuff, trying to make chords and make sense of things. Um, and I played sax for like uh, nine months in, in seventh grade. And so I got an idea of music. I could, I learned to read by playing saxophone. So I understood, you know, the basics of music and being in choirs in school and stuff like that. So I learned, um, learned the basic theory of, of music, but the rest of it was just, I just made music and played music. I played more music than I, uh, I played more records than I played. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I would sit for hours and hours in front of a record player, as long as I can remember uh, as a person. Um, when everyone else wanted to go out and play or there was something going on, I was sitting in front of the stereo. I'd go, go do what you do. I'm, I was just, it was a, it was almost an artistic obsession. It seemed like, you know, it's like, that's all I dreamed and thought about was music. It gave me goosebumps. It was exciting. It was new. Um, you know, it just, it, everything else went out the window <laughs> except music in my life. You know, that was the most important thing. Relationships, friends, you know, going out and party and doing things, you know, it's just, ah, I wasn't into it, you know? Music is the great healer in my personal and humble opinion. It seems like it's it did the same thing for you early on. It, it really was yeah. like a safe haven uh, for you as a human being to just always feel comfort in listening to your favorite records. Yeah, that's true. Is there a particular singer? I, I've always loved your voice uh, throughout the course of your career on record and, and live. Uh, you You always... If anything, you excel live in, in, in <laughs> comparison to the studio recordings. But who are the singers that for you early on you looked at and said, this is my model. This is what I would like to model my voice on. Yeah. Well, there was a lady named Mavis Staples from the oh. Staples Singers. She's the first one, I think, that gave me goosebumps. Even as a child, the way she sang was so emotional. And she was only 16 at the time when I heard her, when I was a little kid at the time. Um, and then after that, well, I remember Mahalia Jackson. Um, there was this song called Move On Up A Little Higher. It was an old 78 record, had a green label on it. And my grandma used to play it. And I just loved the way the lady sang. Now, Mahalia Jackson was the first black gospel singer that ever recorded music. So basically, a whole black community was listening to one record. So we were all listening to her. And then there was Ray Charles. He pops in. And I think those people gave the, my community a voice and everybody started to emulate them. And so we just started emulating each other at that point. Um, and I think that's why we all kind of, that whole gospel soul kind of vibe sounds the same because we're all just copying those people. Even Aretha Franklin, who is one of my favorite singers and Stevie Wonder. Um, I, I played their records over and over again and tried to mimic them exactly the way they sang. I was so into the, the way they sang. So those are basically the singers that, that really made me sing. There, then there's the harmony, the harmonies of, uh, in King's X's music, which I think is very, um, 
distinct in, in the sound that you provide. Where did that come from, that, that idea of creating these harmonies, these lush harmonies in your, in your songwritings? I think that uh, Jerry and Ty both love harmonies because they love the Beatles, and um, they bring harmonies to the songs. Um, and my con- contribution to these harmonies are growing up in school, choir, uh, show tunes, uh, uh, church choir, uh, 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 musicals, uh, everything that had anything to do with vocals, I was in. I, I was in the madrigals uh, in high school, which is a a group taken out of the co- uh, out of the out of the uh, the whole chorus section. They take ten people who were supposedly the best singers and put them in a little group, and they would sing all over the place, and we'd win contests. And I was always in those uh, the madrigals, I think they call it. Um, so I, I just because I could sing and I had a gift, somebody was always dragging me to go do something. You know, <laughs> it's always been that way, even to this day. You know, I'm still. You know, someone's going, "Hey, what you got for me?" You know, so I've been blessed when it comes to always having a direction in my life. Did you um, early on have a feeling that you were going to be in a in a rock? type band or was that no. something not that wasn't part of your 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 map no i was going to be a commercial uh, a modern dancer that's what i was in high school all i did was dance i get stood in the mirror and i did my thing and you know like like the black community back in the 60s all we did was dance that was that was our thing at the time there were no there was no drugs there was no weed and all that kind of stuff this is the early or middle 60s so we were just dancing was my drug and that's what i wanted to do so i never thought about that um uh and one day i think i was about 18 I, we were just about getting ready to graduate from high school and my best friend says dude i got this band i'm putting together you i want you to sing in it and i said i can't sing can you believe that? But I did. I said that to him. I, said, I can't sing. And he goes, no, nah, you can sing. Come on. You know, so I went over and I grabbed the mic and started singing and I never looked back. It was like, OK, I'd start singing with the band. And from that point on in the town I lived in, which was Joliet, uh, Illinois, it's outside of Chicago. Um, I became that guy that could sing. You know, there wasn't too many singers in town. So it seemed like everywhere I turned, I could start a band or join a band or break up a band. Hey, you want to play with me? Sure. You know, I never had a problem with rejection when it came to that. I don't think there was anybody out there that was singing, basically, in my neighborhood. So um, I was lucky with that. I've always been been blessed with that. Somehow I'm like, you know, picked out of the crowd and and what it does for me is it just gives me permission to keep doing what I do. You know, what I like about the music of King's X and, and where that evolved is you can't really put it in in one um, box. I think that there's various types of sounds that you guys delve into, and your voice is elastic, and I think it could fit into multiple <laughs> genres of music. I think that's that's the key here. I think that's really uh pardon pardon the pun here but i think that's the x factor and what, what the king's x thing is about is the fact that you can there's all these different things that you can channel and i think that your voice allows that to happen i think even more so because it it can fit into all areas of music in a way thank you and dion warwick was 
the singer that really inspired me to mix the genres together because um, she she sang all these songs that Burke Bacharach wrote. You know, do you know the way to San Jose and all those songs, those big hits. But she was a black chick who had a super soulful voice. And this is a white guy writing these perfect pop tunes for basically, you know, the white generation. And somehow she could bridge the two. She gave it just enough soul to not overdo it. And, 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 and just enough to not just sound like there was no emotion. And I, used, I was always impressed by that. It's like she could sing anything. And um, I think it was inspiration in some ways in the back of my mind, because growing up listening to show tunes, you know, and stuff like that, I could sing like the white choir boy, you know, straight up, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then I can turn on the soul thing because I learned that in in the black community, going to a black gospel church and listening to soul music. So, you know, it's just different styles I learned. Um I never think about those styles as much as I just try to incorporate them into whatever the song is that I'm writing. You know, I don't sit down and go, well, I think I'm going to do this. But then on some songs like Born to be Loved, where we go, I can shout from a rooftop how I really feel. That's a cluster chord. That's the way the, the Anders sisters used to sing in the 30s, you know, and I and I purposely did that. Or the Ooh song where we go, ooh. It's a it's a cluster chord. It's three notes that are smashed together. They're no, it's not a harmony. It's the three dissonant notes are not supposed to work. And uh, when I learned that in uh, my music theory class, they they call it a cluster chord where you take all eight notes and you press them down on a piano. And if you press all eight notes down, there's a tone it gives you. And and you can't put it in a key. It's it's a dissonant tone, but it works. So I you know I tried that on a couple vocal things. It's hard to do live for sure, but but uh, I love doing those kind of things um, with vocals. And you know the Beatles. You know we always talk about the Beatles and King's X because Ty and Jerry that's their favorite band. And for me, I wasn't a Beatle fan as much as I just heard their music so much and their harmonies were so interesting that that they they stayed in the back of my head so i use beetle harmonies all the time in the back of my mind when i sing so it's a combination of all of that and ty and jerry also have their own that they bring you know ty loves to do harmonies ty doesn't like three-part harmonies he likes two-part harmonies he likes to take the middle out so that and it gives you an audio illusion that there's more but it's only two notes and I'm more the guy that does three to four or five parts. I want the big, big chorus. So between the two of us, we go back and forth on parts. And I think that maybe gives a little variety in, in the music that we make also. It's incredible. And and now going into lyrics, lyrical content, how important is lyrical content to you as a songwriter, even to this day? Because I get the impression that you've always considered, uh, you've really put a lot of thought into your words and 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 what they're what you're trying to express in the songs that you guys are writing. Is that, is that true? It's, lyrics are important to me, but what's more important to me is the structure of the melody. Because um, it doesn't matter what you say if you can sing it right, everybody's going to listen, and I don't forget that. Um, uh, but lyrics and melodies are the last thing I think of when I write a song. 
the song's done. Then I go, okay, now I got to sing on this. What am I going to do? I can either make it or ruin it, you know? And so I go with that standpoint of, and, and, and sometimes, you know, I'll, a song will sit for a month or a year before I come up with the right melody, or the right lyrics. Um, sometimes I ride in my car with my demos going with just music and I'll be riding down the road and all of a sudden, bam, a line comes in my head and I'll sing along. And go, oh, get home. OK, this is it. You got it. You know, I just let the muse bring it to me when it's supposed to. Yeah, because there's people with tons of approaches, whether it's uh, they, they lock themselves up in a room for, mm-hmm. for days and they force it out. And then there's people that just let it flow naturally. It sounds to me like you're of the latter type that. Yeah, because. You. Yeah, I let it come to me because when I try to force it, it's it's so excruciating to sit there and not come up with anything and, and start feeling that whole insecure feeling like I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I've got nothing to say. Oh, oh no, oh no, I got to do this. I just go well, walk away from it. It'll come to you later. There's other people that I know, like Jimmy Hazel from 24-7 Spies or even Ty in King's X. Those guys can come up with lyrics that quick. It's like, got a line for me? Blah, 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 blah. And I go, how do you do that? And they go, easy. But for me, I guess, you know, there's such a, there's so much goes on in my mind the the the, uh, the voices in my head they never stop they're screaming all the time and so it takes me a while to sort all the voices out to make sense of what I'm trying to think you know and make co- make it coherent to someone else because sometimes if you could under if you could get inside my mind there's so many scenarios going at the same time that you you get confused you'd think well he's dealing with this 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 and this and and you want to fix it, but it's only a scenario that I'm using to compare something else that I'm dealing with and I'm going through and all this stuff is going through my mind. So, so I spew it out in lyrics and a lot of times it's misunderstood and I'm okay with that, you know, because it's just thoughts and images that are in my mind. I put words to them and all of a sudden they sound like they're absolute, but they really aren't. And uh, and that kind of confuses people, <laughs> but I don't know how else to do it. It's my art, you know. <laughs> so for you, writing these words is a form of therapy. Then, oh yeah, yeah. I feel like I have to say I have to say something that matters, even if it if it's shallow and and isn't life changing. You know, I it's it's got to have something that makes you think or react, you know, in some kind of a way. That's, that's what I feel about art. When you make art, you want people to react to it. You just don't want to make it to sit there. I, I can relate in that uh, for, for me, like someone who deals with anxiety and, and depression and all their lives and all my life. And I've found niches to help too. sort it out, whether it be uh-huh. writing poetry, if you want to call it that, or finding mm-hmm. ways to just exp- get it out of your system. And to me, once that's done, it's just this huge wave of relief because yeah. it's just, I don't know what it is. We're, we're, some people are just born that way. I guess the, the overthinkers and the people that are just mm-hmm. that, that feel a little bit more strongly than other people do as far as like yeah. reading a room, energies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I want to get too into it. But, uh, we're, well, we're, we're called empaths and some of us are MFJs. <laughs> And that is the whole extreme. And, you know, and if you if you feel that, then you get it. You understand. It's like you can almost feel the wall in the room. 
<laughs> you know, you go outside and you feel so much. You go into a crowd and it's like you feel people's emotions and feelings and you look at their faces and you, you see so much coming out of them. And then you have to look at it and go, is this, do I take this in or can I block this out? Is this about me or is this only about them? And I have nothing to do with it. And it's, it's a constant battle. And it does cause you to be depressed because you're feeling other people's emotions. Yeah, it's so- taken, me, taken me 72 years to get a handle on. And I'm still still learning. <laughs> it's, it's nice to know. I mean, to me, that's inspiring to, to just hear yeah. that from you, because uh, I think uh, it's important to let people know that do struggle with such things that there is an awareness out there and mm-hmm. that uh, we're not alone. Right. So there, there right. Is, you just got to find ways to keep sharp and and not let things bog you down for too long. And right. Various outlets, whatever makes yeah. you happy, really, that's not going to impact you in a negative way, whether that be with diet. Uh, mm-hmm. Like to me, diet's very important. Yeah. I know that for you, diet's very important. I mean, I can yeah. see you've kept yourself in great shape over the years. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a huge part of it for you, right? It's, it's all about keeping the it best is. mental outlook for yourself. Yeah. For me, it's like, I want to be as healthy as I can possibly be till I die. I don't want to live forever. You know, it's going to end sooner or later, but I just don't want to end I lived in my next 20, 30 years, which is probably all I've got left uh, in a, in a wheelchair or a walker or sitting there miserable because I don't feel good. You know, I want to be able to bounce off the walls like I do now. You know, I always say if I can't run up a flight of stairs, it's over. And I run up a flight. Every time I go upstairs, I run. And when I get to the top, there's no heart. There's no fast heartbeat or nothing like that. So I'm going, you're good. Because I know other people can't even do that. Have you always been that way, self motivated uh, to to yeah. keep yourself in shape and, and make and throughout the course of your life? Yeah, yeah. Since when I was twenty one, uh, I I learned that salt and sugar was bad for you. That's nineteen seventy one. So that's all we knew about the bad things of of uh, of nutrition. And so I cut back on the sugar and the salt, you know, and through the years and, and organic, we are always talking about organic is supposed to be so much, so much better. So I grew a garden and my roommates, we used to just, you know, just uh, learned about that stuff. And through the years, I kept learning more and more to the point now where, you know, I'm an encyclopedia and people go, well, what do you do? How do you do it? And I'm going, dude, it's a lifetime. Of, of thought, you know, I can't just say do this, 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 and it's going to be okay. It's like, I've been doing this my whole life. I do push-ups and sit-ups every day since I was, by the, when I was around 40 is when I started doing push-ups and sit-ups every day, just every day. And I still do every day I get up and I put on a disco record, uh, uh, some song that's five minutes long where you just go like you spin me around by uh, dead or alive. alive. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I just go, you spin me around. And I just, just do that the whole song, get my heart up. Then I start the day, you know, and I do it every day. It's work magic because like, <laughs> obviously like it, it's, definitely paid off. And I feel like that it really does affect every facet of your being, including your voice. It does. And people's attitude towards you. You know, when you're alive and you're bouncing off the walls and you've got this energy coming at you, people are attracted to it and people want to be that way because, because positivity is infectious, you know, and I, and I try in, in a negative world and in, 
and all the negative thoughts that I have, you know, I try to combat them with, with positive, just positivity, you know, and even not even go to places like, cause depression, I used to think about all the things that made me depressed. And I had a lot of things to, to make me feel depressed, but I didn't realize I was just naturally depressed. And when I got over all the things and dealt with all these things, I'm going, why do you feel like shit still? And I realized, oh, it's the chemicals. Well, I need to eat this, this, and this herb, and this herb, and do this, and that. And I smoke a lot of weed. And, you know, and, and I just do what I can to keep myself in a state that's above the, you know, above the water. And there's people in my life that come into that, you know, those narcissistic people that want to sabotage your goodness or your joy or the things that's happening. And they'll question, you know, it's like, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Well, how come you're feeling great when everybody else is feeling bad? How can you just skirt through life like that? And I look up and go, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take that shame and gaslighting and make me feel like I've done something wrong. I go, no, you're jealous. And that's the way it is. I'm not going to let that bother me. And I'm not going to say that to you either. I'm just going to smile and keep on going. And that's that's a part of my philosophy in my old age is, is just right, right over it. Because it ain't going to stop. You're an inspiration, Doug. I really appreciate you sharing that. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> You're awesome. Oh, man. Sorry. So just to, to flash forward now, there. what can you say is the statement that you have made with the latest King's X record? Like do you, in the Pantheon of albums throughout the course of your career, where mm-hmm. does this hold up for you? I know it's it's just coming out this Friday. Mm-hmm. But for you personally, what has this album done for you and where does it stack up for you on a personal level for me it's an album by a 72 year old man and i'm pretty proud of it at this point because i can't say too many people are doing that it's it's incredible because again quality music i'm a huge believer in creativity and for you to still be maintaining that creativity and not relying on nostalgia and not going back and just playing the catalog and the songs that people know you for. It's just literally forward momentum, always progressing, evolving as an artist. To me, that's why artists make music or should be making music is to move forward. And uh, I, I don't have any sort of uh, judgment towards those that view the uh, view the other side of it and playing. Yeah. But for me personally, I would I have a preference towards the artist such as yourself, who continue to develop and create for as long as they live. And to me, it's important to and to celebrate a new King's X album in 2022. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, man. It's yeah. awesome. It's good talking to you, man. I appreciate that. Really, really quick, just because I'm a huge fan of these trilogy mm-hmm. of records, um, KXM. I'm a huge uh-huh. fan of K- KXM. <laughs> Will there be a fourth KXM record? Yeah, we're talking about it. Uh, nothing's happening yet, but, uh, we're talking about it. Ray is going to have to find some time to get away from corn and George biggest problem right now with George is he's got so many, so many side projects and solo things going that, that the record company is going, dude, you know, we want a new KXM, but we got to get George's, the rest of this stuff out, you know, you know, it's piling up on George. So we're trying to figure that out right now. All right. Can't wait for that. And any tour dates coming up as far as uh, people can be aware of for King's X? 
No, no, you just just check the King's X website and see what's up because at the moment there's not a whole lot going on. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, I hope to catch a date. I'm in the Orlando, Florida area. Maybe I can catch Oh, you know, Florida. Okay. Yeah. I hope so too. We don't play Orlando too often anymore. We used to play the House of Blues down there a lot, but we haven't found any gigs there lately. Well, if you come down, I'll be I'll be more than happy to catch a show. Uh it'd be fantastic, uh, especially with this new awesome. record and these new songs. But uh again, Doug, thank you for your time. I can't wait to purchase a physical because I believe in physical product CD. Awesome, man. Because I still love CDs of the new record. And um, all the best to you and the future. And uh, thank you again for your time and for adding credibility to what I've been trying to build here with uh, an all talk music platform, Sonic Dorm. So all the best to you. Awesome. Doug. Awesome. I'd like to stay in touch with you too. You seem like a kindred spirit. All right. We'll do. Thank you so much. And until next I, time. All right. Peace.